I have to say, Carl, I like your introduction way better than Casey's. Um, good thing my wife wasn't here. She, she would totally agree with you, Casey. So, um, and with friends like you, who needs enemies? Um, so I really appreciate um, being invited to speak here. And this is an interesting audience because I'm used to speaking to like one group, either all Christians or all non-Christians or all business people. And in thinking through this presentation, um, there's a mix of you. Some of you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as I do. Um, some of you do not, and which is it's great having everybody in this room. Uh, I heard a speaker once talk about the dash on a gravestone. And what he made a comment about was when you look at the gravestone, you see the beginning of someone's life and the end of someone's life, but a very small dash. And that dash is probably one of the most important parts of our lives, right? We're, we're alive 70 to 100 years, depending on how fit you are, right? Um, and so from that perspective, he said, in the Christian world, um, we tend to look at coming to know Jesus Christ as just our Savior, that it's a fire insurance. You know, we don't want to go to hell. So we accept Jesus Christ, and we go to heaven, and we kind of move on. What I want to share with you today is there's more to just a savior. We call him our Lord as well. And I think understanding how I got in the fitness industry, everyone thinks I had some kind of ingenious plan to take over the fitness industry and own Goldstream International. And, and quite honestly, when I share my story with you, you'll understand uh, I had no plan. It wouldn't have been the plan that I had at all being a gym guy. Um, and so, you know, I grew up in this area, Great Falls, Virginia. My father uh, was Navy. My mother was a homemaker. Both knew Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and I saw that in their lives, and it was very attractive to me. Uh, so at the age of 13, I dedicated my life to the Lord. Um, and I'm, I'm going to do something. Unlike Ted, who has a great memory, uh, I do not have a good memory. I'm getting old. So as, as a Christian, I think it's important not to just use Christianese. I think it's important to kind of explain to those who don't know what it means to be a Christian, what the Bible says about it. And it's not putting a fish on your car, because I do not have a fish on my car. Uh, there's a good reason for that. Um, I would I'd not be a Christian if you saw a fish on my car driving half the time. So th there are three passages, uh, three passages um, that, to help you understand, is Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's a really important passage, because um, no one in this room is perfect. Now, if you say you are, you're lying, and that's a sin. So keep that in mind. Um, so that's really important because heaven is a perfect place, and we're not perfect people. So it's kind of like, how do you, how do you get into a perfect place? Well, um, John 3.16, which if you've been to a football game, you see our signs. Um, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So that was a perfect sacrifice. Jesus Christ walked this earth, God's son, God. And that's the only way to get into a perfect place, is to have a savior. And then finally, really important, is Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is not an intellectual exercise. I mean, it's very important to understand who God is and who Christ is, but it's something that it comes inside. So that was really important in my, my life. Um, we celebrated that as a family. I didn't quite understand as a 13-year-old how important this was, this decision was in my life. Um, and my father, who's military, any of you military in this room, uh, seek and destroy, have a mission, have a plan. So as a, as a young child, um, uh, my dad worked really hard, and my brother, sister, and I got one day a year with my dad that was dedicated to us. 
And this was a really enjoyable time for me. I love spending that day with my dad, and to this day I do with my daughters. And the first part of our day was dedicated to understanding our strengths and weaknesses. Um, you know, he would say, God created you a certain way, uh, so you should know how you're gifted. And then your weaknesses, what are you working on? So I would say at 11, I could interview for most of your companies with that strength and weaknesses question. I could tell you what I was really bad at. I knew I wasn't going to be a pro basketball player, so um, that was one of my weaknesses. I went very tall. And so my father also would say, what do you want to do with your career? Unlike many children who want to be astronauts and firefighters, I wanted to be the CEO of a publicly traded company. So as Ted will tell you, that was not a great thing to think about um, as I look back on it. But that was kind of, I was built, I felt I really enjoyed business. I really enjoyed buying and selling things. And so I, I kind of felt that's what I wanted to do. And so everything my father walked me through was, you want to be a CEO of a publicly traded company. What are you going to do? At high school, I went to Langley High School here. I grew up as a child and, you know, national honor student. I was an athlete. Everything I did, societies, everything was being built for my resume to be the CEO. And graduated from Langley, got accepted to Virginia Tech, and uh, talked to my mentor and my dad, and they're like, well, if you're going to be a CEO, you really need to understand a balance sheet and P&L, so you need to get an accounting or a finance degree. Now, that was a, a great piece of um, information they gave me. I started out in accounting, and um, God had other plans for me. I got to cost accounting, and by the mercy of God, I got a D minus. Um, and I say mercy because I actually went to the teacher's office and begged for the D minus, so I didn't have to take that class over. It was horrible. So any of you that made it through costs, congratulations. I did not. Uh, so I went into finance. I really enjoyed that. Um, and I got through it. I learned how to read a balance sheet on P&L. And graduated from Virginia Tech. And uh, so got interviews like all of us do. And there was two jobs that were presented to me. The first one was to be the account executive for Giorgio Perfume in Beverly Hills, California. Now, if any of you are old like me or older, uh, you realize that Giorgio Perfume was the perfume at that time. And being a single man, um, Beverly Hills, beautiful women, $70,000 base in 1988, that was a good base. And um, I thought that was going to be the one. Well, I happened to be at church. I go to McLean Presbyterian Church here, and uh, a family approached me. And the husband had died, leaving a small office supply business to the wife in McLean here. And they approached me and said, look, we're, we have debt, uh, we're struggling, and we need someone to run the business for us. We don't know how to do this. I thought, oh, man, I'm going to get a running company. This is going to pay big bucks. So I said, so how much can you pay me? And they said, well, we could probably pay you $18,000 a year. <laughs> Thank goodness God whispered in my head and said, don't say no yet. Because I almost did so. So I said, you know what, let me pray about it. Let me talk to my dad and my advisor and, and see what he thinks. So I talked to him and he said, I said, here's, here's my options, dad, what do you think? He goes, well, first of all, do not think about money in your decision. Put that aside. Now, we've been planning for this your whole life. You want to be the CEO of a publicly traded company. Which one of these will prepare you for that? And I was like, dang it, I knew this was coming. <laughs> I'm not going to Beverly Hills, I don't think. And he, he said, look, it's a failing company. If it goes under, no big deal, right? It was going under. But if you succeed at it, it's a big resume builder. And you get to learn accounting, finance, sales, marketing. You get to run a business on someone else's dime, kind of like my MBA. So I took that job. Um, 
And I was off to the races. You know, also that dash on the gravestone, dash, race. Any, anyone here like the rat race here in DC? That's, that's a dash, right? So being from a military family, an athlete, I put my head down and I drove hard. Many nights sleeping in the office, um, working really hard. Um, I was in, at that time dating my wife, never saw her. We lived in separate homes with our parents. Um, I turned away from God. I didn't go to church. I turned away from reading the Bible. I turned away from friends because I had a mission. I had to achieve something great. I had a resume. I had a target. And again, God in his mercy allowed us to um, improve the business. We had five times the profits of the national industry average in off supplies, and we're able to sell the company. And we got the family out of debt, put some money in their pockets, and check, right? I was a big shot now. I had run a small business. I was on my way to the, the big C-suite. Uh, the banker that handled the transaction with us um, said, you know, there's a company in McLean, an actuarial software company, that needs someone to, to run it. Uh, would you be interested? I said, well, heck, I'm a big-time business guy now. I've just turned around a small supply company. And I said, sure, but I don't know anything about computers. I can turn one on. Um, I can do spreadsheets. That's as far as I go. And so I interviewed with the, the owners who are actuaries. Um, any of you that are actuaries, you are geniuses. Um, you're not a lot of fun, but you're very smart. Um, so I thought, you know, I'll take over this business. I can do this. And they said, look, we'll teach you how to work with computers. Now, any of you that own small businesses, you do not have time to teach anybody anything. And I did not know this. So I got in there. No one was teaching me about how to work with computers. So in good old fashion, I bought a computer, I took it home, I, every night came home after running the company, I tore it apart, took the boards out, I crashed the operating system, it was DOS at the time, and even though my wife and I lived in a small town home, I never saw her. I continued this path of muscling it up and doing this on my own. About a, a year and a half into the business, I started losing weight. I didn't feel very good, I wouldn't eat. And my wife's like, you know, I think you need to go to the doctor. Well, as a man, I don't go to the doctor. Um, and this too will pass. It's indigestion. It'll be fine. And it didn't pass. I actually got concerned. So I went to my family doctor. And this was back in the good old days when the physician had time to meet with you. And so I, I met with the doctor and said, I'm not doing very well. I need some tests. So he ran some blood. He took my blood, stress test, and called me back in his office. He said, uh, everything's fine. I go, that's impossible. That is absolutely impossible. There's something wrong with me. And he said, let's, let's talk. Tell me about your family life and your career. And I said, well, you know, I'm working, you know, feels like 24 hours a day. He said, you know, after we got done talking, he goes, I'm not a psychiatrist, but I believe you have occupational depression. I'm going to tell you that this may sound really weird. I wish you would have said I had cancer. Because cancer was something out of my control. And in my mind, depression was in my control. I had a mil military family. I was an athlete. I'd, I couldn't have depression. That's for the weak. And that's what was my mindset at that time. And so I, I asked the doctor, I said, what kind of medication can you give me? I need to get over this because I got a company to run. He said, uh, no medication. I go, wait a minute, let's get this straight. You're a physician. I'm sick. There should be some drugs you can give me. He's like, no. I go, well, what are you recommending? He said, quit your job. 
Now, you know God was speaking there, because how many physicians, if you're in this room or you have a physician, would tell you the prescription is quit your job? And um, like Ted, I don't recommend that prescription often, uh, but in this case, it was, it was necessary. So I remember going home to our small town home, walking in the door, and to this day, I still remember it. I saw my wife. She was standing there. I went up to her and hugged her and just started crying like a baby. Now, imagine my wife's thinking. She, I've been at the doctor, and I'm crying like a baby. <laughs> so she's like, are you dying? You have cancer? I'm like, no, I'm depressed. She's like, you're depressed and you're crying. I, I kind of get the correlation. So what did the doctor say? And I told her to quit my job. She wasn't shocked by it. She goes, look, we don't have kids. I have a job. Quit your job. That was probably, and like Ted just mentioned, one of the most difficult times in my life. I had never quit anything, including cost accounting, which I got a D minus in. I did not quit that. <laughs> and I thought to myself, this is it. I've been planning since I was a child to be the CEO of a publicly traded company. I can't quit now. These are the plans. My father and I have been working on these plans for my whole life, and now I'm ending it all. So I quit. I'm sure I gave some bogus reason. I don't remember it right now, but um, as to why I was quitting. But during that time, that was the sweetest time of my life. I would never trade in that depression for anything because it is why I am here today. And there are two passages I want to read to you that were what God spoke to me, which changed my entire perspective on my life. So Luke 12, 22, and Christ said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is live in the field today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek the kingdom, and these things will be added unto you. This next one's really short, so bear with me. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 9. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. What I realized was the goal I was setting for my life was too small. I wasn't seeking the kingdom. I would have not spoken up here today if it weren't for that time of depression, because this would have been a waste of time at that point. I could be in my office doing a, a report or doing financials or training a staff person. But now my perspective is different. This is the most critical thing. Like Ted said, I agree 100%. This is why I exist, is to serve God. So, and God has a sense of humor because I didn't have a job, and I finally got all these great interviews, and then some buddies from high school, Langley High School, 
had a gym in Fairfax, Virginia, a Gold's Gym, and they said, hey, why don't you become a partner of ours? I'm thinking, this is great. Thanks, God. I told you I would do anything in this, this world. I could flip burgers. I could mop floors. But to work at a gym? Are you kidding me? We have a treadmill. We're a little, little gym. This is really going to be the death of my entire career. But he reminded me, he said, look, you said you were going to serve me. You said you were going to dedicate your life to me. This is your chance. And I thought, quite honestly, when I went back to my wife, I thought she'd say no, because I was going to use the wife card on these guys. Like, ah, my wife says I'm an idiot. Why would I do that? And God spoke to her, just like the physician. She said, no, do this. Hang out with your buddies for a year. Have some fun. Get jacked. Right, Carl? Get jacked. <laughs> I'm not as jacked as you think. I'm, I'm, I'm all right. But, um, and then get a real job. Well, that one gym turned into 11. 40% corporate EBITDA, the most profitable Gold's Gym chain in the world. We raised capital and bought the entire company in 1999. That was God's doing. Because I worked just as hard as everybody else. Um, probably not as smart as half of you guys in here. Um, but he, he turned that into an incredible career for me. We sold the company, had a great exit. Uh, went on to do two other private equity deals with um, health club chains. We just sold a company at the beginning of this year. Um, pushing towards a billion dollars in transactions now. I, I would have never, ever, in my wildest dreams, not my wife's wildest dreams, but mine, um, would be here today with this career. And now I have the blessing to be able to do something where I feel like I'm truly serving the kingdom. I, I feel like I was even before, but now I get to get involved in healthcare and fitness, and a lot of people are suffering under this burden in our, in our country. And I don't know where God's gonna take it, but what I do know is he's gonna take it somewhere. And I've told my wife, worst case, we live in Florida and sell everything. So, I mean, that could be the worst part we have here, but um, it is really neat when you change the perspective of what you're doing in your life and your career. So, for your, you in the audience, for those of you who, who claim Christ is your Lord and Savior, I ask you, what's your dash? Are you serving him? Is it just a, a fire insurance policy that you got that you don't go to hell and you're gonna to go to heaven? Or are you really making a difference? Are you serving those around you for the kingdom? Something beyond being the CEO of a publicly traded company. So I challenge you with that. For those of you who don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I gotta tell you, it's awesome knowing there's God in control. And it's not just a fake feeling. There's plenty, if I had more time, there are so many stories, and I know Ted is this as well, where we look through our lives and we see God's hand on everything we're doing. And I would hate for any of you to leave this room today that don't know Christ and get hit by a car. My mother-in-law just passed a couple weeks ago. That death would have been really difficult if I wanted to known that she's with the Lord right now. So I, I really appreciate you listening and hearing my story, and uh, thank you for your time.